Welcome to the Spring Boot Learning Podcast, the channel where you learn about Spring Boot and have fun doing it. And now for your host. He's a developer on the Spring Team, a coffee-loving code wrangler, and the biggest Doctor Strange fan you'll ever meet, Greg Turnquist. Today's episode, we're going to talk about what is JPA and why does this matter for my Spring Boot application? It's coming up. JPA is the Java Persistence API. Now, I love the way Software Land were able to put acronyms within other acronyms, but essentially, it's a standardized approach that grew out of a existing problem. And the fact is, before JPA was on the scene, we had something called JDBC. JDBC is the standard way that we would connect to databases and interact with the relational databases to query for results and make updates and so forth. And one of the issues that we did, whether or not you used JDBC straight up or if you use something like JDBC template from the Spring portfolio, either way, what you ran into is while you wrote all these queries, you also had to sit there and continually be mapping results onto Java objects, onto POJOs, plain old Java objects. And sometimes that got really taxing because a lot of times we're just querying a simple table and we have a Java record that maps onto that. And it seems kind of straightforward. Why can't you? Why can't we just map this column to this field in my POJO record? And that's a really good question. So a toolkit emerged called Hibernate. And what Hibernate offered was a very simple way to map stuff on. Just with an XML definition file at the time, you could map tables onto Java classes, basically data records. Now, later when Java 5 emerged, they were able to use annotations to basically in, instead of the XML stuff, and that really took off crazy. And there was, and that really simplified the aspect of trying to query for data, get back results, and then not deal with that tedious task of mapping. But there was one other issue that Hibernate provided a solution to, and that was the fact that if you jumped from MySQL to Postgres to Oracle to whatever, you ran into this issue of not every database engine was identical. Your queries were non-portable when you wrote them into your SQL. And that's because the SQL specs themselves have gaps. And yes, I said specs in the plural. That's because SQL has more than one spec. And it really is your due diligence that if you're working on a system, like you know, if your current system is built on PostgreSQL, it behooves you to go out and get a PostgreSQL SQL book one that's specific to that platform. Because if you go get an ANSI standard one, there's going to be holes in that book. You really should get the book that matches the store that you're working on. But more about Hibernate. What Hibernate offered to do was write this standard query format called, well, that, that, that was called Hibernate Query Language, or HQL. We later now have JPA Query Language, or JPQL. The idea was write your query in an object-oriented fashion, not a database-oriented fashion, and Hibernate would translate it into the local dialect, whether that was Postgres or Oracle or whatever. And that was very convenient. A lot of people jumped to that. And we found out that if you could just, if you could model the domain object, it could simplify your ability to write query, to have a nice decoupling from the data store. And in this sense, people, it, Systems were taking off. People were able to quickly get things built and put together and not be stuck in the mud of trying to claw through writing all this uh, relational database stuff. And in the sense, for a lot of people, Hibernate gave them wings and made them 
leap forward and getting stuff implemented for customers. But something people discovered as they went further along. This video is sponsored by Learning Spring Boot 3.0 Third Edition. Do you want to build a Java app without wasting time? Do you need to create a web layer backed by a powerful yet intuitive data layer? And do you want to protect your users with the most up-to-date and widely used security tools? Learning Spring Boot 3.0 Third Edition will show you the way. And to top things off, it even includes how to deploy and maintain your application in production. Check it out at springbootlearning.com book and pre-order your copy today. Hibernate was so successful that it got turned into the spec of JPA several years ago. And one thing that people ran into and discovered was that while Hibernate and, and later JPA got you out of the business of writing uh, platform-specific queries and got you out of the business of having to map results onto data objects, it doesn't get you away from the fact that you're still talking to a table-based system. It doesn't change the fact that this is a relational database. And there's some, there's some quirks and natures and idioms when you're talking about a table-based data system that uses third normal form, the way, the way you have one-to-many and many-to-many and one-to-one -one relationships between tables. There's consequences with that that are not the same as having this object is composed of that object and a and a list of those objects. There, there are differences when you're talking about relational databases that are different. There's just, there's differences in this stuff. But I think a lot of people either they assumed or they may have been told mistakenly that basically JPA was your way to get away from all database structures. In a sense, you could really focus 100% of your thoughts on on the Java object. And the thing is. It's not true. Instead, you know, you you still have to understand how this works. And this really comes to pronouncement when you start running into it. It's not hard to write a query where I need to query this one table and get the data out of it. Or I need to require, query this parent-child one-to-many relationship and get that out of it. Uh, that was not complex, but you would run into more business analysis stuff or complex reports where you end up having to join 20 tables together and you're having to stitch together thing and then you would go in and start writing stuff in, in jpql and it can get out of hand quickly it can get complicated and there's another facet of this that we haven't even mentioned and that is per query performance too uh, there's times that you can write a query it gives you the correct results every time but it may not be the most performative solution uh, for example you can write a query that searches a database table, and maybe at the time you write the, wrote the query, there were a thousand rows of data. Your query worked. It fetched the right answer every time. But over two to three years, that table has grown to a million rows of data. And the way you wrote the query to get the right answer, it scans the table completely. It does a full table scan every single time. And when it scans it, it's every time as the table gets bigger, it's taken longer to run that query. Sometimes people say, just throw an index, put an index on there. But if you happen to get the way you wrote your business requirements, if you do an upper on a column, the indexes don't work. It, it bypasses the index. So in database tuning, it's a common thing to go run things through explain plans, to do database analysis, to team up with one of the DBAs on your team to understand your query and go tune it, fix it, and perhaps 
you know, maybe the way you wrote your query, maybe there, there's often more than one way to write the query and still get the right answer. And this was a this is something that's just common when talking with relational database. Maybe the statistics are not getting run. They need to run maybe once a week and they haven't been run for six months. So the database itself is not properly optimized. And the, the hurdle people would run into is they would, if they had built a query using JPA and JPA query language, they would be wanting to tune the output of JPA and JPA doesn't lend itself to that. That's not what JPA was built to do is to let you tune the output. JPA is built in a sense that I'm going to define the relationships through the various annotations that JPA provides to me, and it's going to be able to write a neutral query in the dialect that I'm talking to. And so there's times when we run into these phenomena that our query is slowing down and sort of leaves us hanging there. Like, what do I do? How do I solve this problem? And this is what some people would come to discover to be the ninth circle of JPA, you know? For all these situations over here, it worked great and solved problems. But for those situations, JPA gets in my way. So that was one of the reasons that while whereas Spring Data JPA is one of the probably the most popular Spring Data module that's out there in the Spring portfolio for doing data management, sometimes people were like, "I want, I want control of my queries back. I want to get it back." And so uh, back in 2017, uh, Jens Schauder, one of our Spring Data team members started working on building Spring Data JDBC, saying, well, what if, we, what if we shift the assumption? What if we, maybe Spring Data could do some of the work, but you take on some of the other work, and you now have a stronger control of the situation. And he was like, let's see how far we can get with this. And amazingly, pretty far. The following year, 2018, when uh, Jens had a presentation at the Spring One conference, the room was packed. It was standing room only. I was happened to be sitting at the front of the room, but that was incredible. The amount of interest for people wanting to use the spring data paradigm, but sidestep the JPA concept and see what the JDBC approach was, was incredible. So this is where we need to understand what's the difference between JDBC and JPA and to see what they offer and what are the trade-offs. Because in software engineering, everything is a trade-off. And so are these trade-offs good for you? And that's why it's important to understand what does JPA do? What is it meant to do? And what is it, what's it frankly not meant to do? Are we trying to use it for something it's not built for? And so that's why it's vital to understand what is JPA. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of the Spring Boot Learning Podcast. Please go visit your favorite podcasting platform and give us a big thumbs up. This episode of the podcast is over, but your code writing journey continues. Visit springbootlearning.com and find links and resources to help you write better apps.